TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for Ask the Expert North Texas. I'm Kristen Diaz. I'm David Rankin. It's only August, and it's five months before anyone casts any real votes in the 2024 presidential election. But tomorrow night, eight candidates for the Republican nomination are going to be on the same stage for the first debate of the 2024 election season. And that debate is set for Milwaukee at 7 o'clock. Can we expect any fireworks, especially since the former president won't be on the stage on today's Ask the Expert? We are joined with a preview by Dr. Thomas Gray. He's an assistant professor of political science at UT Dallas, and he is in the KRLD Zoom room. Dr. Gray, thank you as always for the time. Thank you for having me. It's really not that unusual to have a presidential debate this early. It just feels that way. Yeah, it feels that way, but it's something that has been the case uh, in recent cycles. So back in 2016, there were also debates around the same time, even earlier. Um, and so in in the 21st century, we have moved to almost two whole years of, of presidential elections, and that includes starting the debates in the middle of the year before the election. So what is most anticipated for this uh, debate, considering that the former president is not going to be involved? I think that is the thing that's most anticipated. People are trying to figure out what will this debate be like when the person who's polling with over 50 percent of support isn't there. So how much of that two hour window will be talking about the person who isn't there? How much space and airtime will there actually be for one of the eight people on the stage to make a case for themselves? and to not be constantly answering questions about the person who isn't on the stage. And so that, I think, is the most anticipated aspect of the debate. How important is it for all the candidates to be on that same stage together versus what we do? And that's do these things virtually. Um, It can have an effect. So historically, there have been cases in which uh, people's presence on the stage, being able to physically compare people, there have been studies in political science about the relative height of people potentially having an effect. You see them standing side by side, body language, how they actually handle that moment where they have to look at the person who might be criticizing them. There were instances in prior debates and the you know exchanges between Governor Christie and Senator Marco Rubio come to mind. These kinds of moments where people have to actually look at each other and interact physically. And there's something as humans that we just have a, a kind of social mindset about, about people who are together in the same space and evaluating how they interact that's different than when you see uh, or you hear sound bites that are recorded standing with a journalist after an event or something like that. Yeah. And back to your point of the topic of discussion, if um, the former president will not be a part of this. What will be the next hot button issue that will be uh, most secretly sought after, most sought after in these conversations? You think? I'm not quite certain. It could be a, it could be the issue of abortion, which has uh, continued to be a big uh, a big issue for Republicans. Another possibility is 
is, is immigration. Um, the question there, so the immigration question allows them to sort of frame it as a as a an evaluation or a referendum on the current president versus a referendum on the prior president. And abortion is more a question about how the, the party itself wants to move forward as they're facing some strong headwinds on that issue now. And there may be a kind of purity test that often happens in primaries where base voters, primary voters, are looking to their potential candidates and asking them, are you still with us even now as you may be getting some pushback from more moderate voters, from Democratic voters? Are you still going to fight the fight for the issue that the party has championed now for half a century? Um, and so that might be an issue that pop up, but something like immigration and inflation could be issues that pop up if they want to talk about and criticize the performance of the Biden administration. Let's talk about the fact there are eight people going to be on stage and each one is going to be trying to get as much camera time as they can. What's that fight like among the candidates when they're doing just that? Uh, it's pretty desperate. So historically, we can look at it and see that almost never does it happen that it's evenly distributed. It's usually the top one, two or three candidates that get the bulk of the time and the less well-known candidates. And these could still be people who are the governors of their state. These are incredibly prominent, successful people, and they might still find themselves up there desperate to get 10 minutes of time out of two hours, right? And they are, you'll see them, for example, try to jump in and interrupt a question, perhaps. They might try to answer a question that wasn't asked to them. They will you know, claim that they have been criticized in order to then ask for the fair opportunity to respond. They employ all different kinds of techniques to manufacture time. And then of course the classic debate one is just going over your time. You are given a certain number of seconds and then they're telling you, you need to stop and you just keep going. You know, you filibuster through the moderator's efforts to control the debate. Now, this question is more of a pop culture question, I think, than more political science. But does the the way that this is being broadcast, uh, you know, through cable versus streaming versus YouTube versus Ramble, do you think that is going to play um, any type of influence on the audience? Perhaps to some extent. The question is, do sort of non-traditional or younger audiences, are they likely to watch this? So there are different formats, but what will be the viewership on those formats? Um, and that kind of is the question. So there's definitely, uh, you know, there's going to be a variety of different ways to watch this across different platforms. Multiple different television channels will be airing the same thing at the same time, along with streaming platforms and things like that. And so they're probably trying to target different audiences. Millions and millions of Americans today don't actually have cable TV, so the only way they could watch it would be through some type of stream. But those are people who are generally my age and younger, and so you're looking at different demographics. But when you look at who actually makes up the primary voters for the Republican Party, that actually skews towards the group of people who still have Fox News on their television, uh, that still has a cable uh, subscription. So I'm not sure how big of an effect those different formats will have just because that's you know, generally speaking, there's a demographic difference in who who uses those different formats. What do the candidates, anyone from Nikki Haley to Ron DeSantis, need to do to hit a home run with this debate? Part of me thinks that hitting a home run might not be possible unless someone else really sets it up for them by making a huge mistake. Right. So it, it might they, they might not actually have an opportunity to do so because it might be difficult to score a real 
uh, point against the former president, the current leader, since he isn't there. So there might be a little hollowness in that. Um, I think all of them, they want airtime. They want a chance to tell voters who maybe don't know them as well as they know the former president, something about them. Like I said, all of these are incredibly accomplished people, and they want that opportunity to tell voters who maybe haven't been tuning in, right? We have lots of polls now, but people really haven't been paying that much attention because we have other things to do in our lives, right? And so politics all day is something that I have to do for my job, but not necessarily what a sane person would do with their time, right? So for a certain part of this, it's someone like Nikki Haley or um, someone who I'm I'm interested to see how it goes is uh, Senator Tim Scott. And, it, you know, Senator Tim Scott has an incredibly inspiring story. He sells a, a kind of inspirational, positive message with his conservatism. And someone like that may not be as well known, doesn't come from a large populist state. And so they, you know, Senator Scott might be looking for an opportunity to um to tell people about his life story, about his viewpoint on the world, his, um, you know, his approach to Republican and conservative politics. And this is a great avenue, you know, this is a great venue for him to do that. And if he leaves there not having done that, it will be a missed opportunity. And he doesn't get that many missed opportunities when he's polling where he's at relative to, you know, the larger candidates. Will any of the candidates actually drop out after a poor performance in a debate like this, are they all in it to win it? I won't necessarily say that they're all in it to win it. One thing of recent um, presidential campaigns is is the idea that you run for a presidential campaign to grow your national reputation, not necessarily because you want to be president. It's a great way to ensure that you get brought on for a speaker gig later on during the actual general election because you were a former candidate. So then they can bring you on to be an analyst. It's a way of getting your face on the television, which for some people sells books and helps, you know, pave future, uh, you know, financial and professional achievement. However, I don't think there's that many incentives for anybody to drop out after this. There's another debate in just a few weeks in September. And you know, unless you unless you just don't have the money to continue. And at this point, campaigns can be run on a really shoestring budget because you don't have to do that many events and that many things. There's nothing making you stop. And if you can continue to qualify for those future two hours on television, most people, you know, in politics want two hours on television in front of millions of people. And so I don't anticipate anybody dropping out absent some really epic gaffe that really undermines their campaign or something like that. Dr. Thomas Gray is an assistant professor of political science at UTD. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love. Hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. 